I had, uh, I had hoped that by the time the, the, I start preaching, the power would be back so that I don't have to shout, because I have a point in my sermon about shouting preachers. <laughs> so, <laughs> not sure how this is going to work here. Um, uh, but um, we are concluding, if it's your first time with us this morning, we are concluding a very short series on the office of elder. Uh, we have looked at a number of aspects of this office. Uh, the first week, three weeks ago, we looked at the, at the place of the office of elder, the titles, uh, the bishop, overseer, uh, presbyter titles. Last week, we looked at the character, uh, the, the, the requirements of how, does a person, how is a person put into that office. And this morning... Uh, we are looking at the final thing we're going to look at is the function of the elder, the, the work of the elder. What does the elder do? Uh, what do pastors do and what is their scriptural mandate for their work? How are you to assess elders? How do we know that elders are actually doing their job? Where do we even go? How do we even know? I mean, during the week, what are they supposed to be doing? And then certainly on Sundays, what are they supposed to be doing? And so the, for us to be able to figure that out, uh, it would take a long time to go through all that the scripture says about this. So I've decided for our purposes this morning to focus our attention on the pastoral epistles. And the pastoral epistles. And what are the pastoral epistles? The pastoral epistles, that's First and Second Timothy and Titus. These three letters are letters that were written by Paul to these two men, to Timothy, the two letters, and the other one, to Titus. And these were men who were commissioned by Paul as an apostle to continue the work of ministry. So these, these, these two men were, were taking the baton, as it were, from the apostolic party and continuing on. Uh, into in the work of the ministry. So they are taking the work of the apostles and continuing on and, and training others to continue in the work of the apostles, the, 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 the apostolic ministry of the word. So the, the clearest explanation of a pastor's job and a pastor's to-do list is found in the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. It, however, when I say that, I don't mean it's exhaustive. I don't mean that there's nothing anywhere else. Certainly not exhaustive. For example, in Acts chapter 20, Paul uses terms there that he doesn't use in these three. And we also saw two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the work of the pastors is explained there. And you can find the work of the, of the pastors really explained and mimicked throughout the New Testament. So we want to be careful. I don't want to say that this is exhaustive. But it certainly is the clearest teaching on the work of a pastor. So these three, these three letters for, have for us the clearest uh, didactic explanation of what it is that a pastor is to do as Paul is talking to these two pastors and telling them what pastors do and what they should tell other pastors to do around them. And to put this together... We're going to go through three, so I just I want you to know this is a bit of a finger Olympics today, but it's the last Sunday of this, so uh, from next week onwards, normal service re returns. It's going to be a bit of finger Olympics, we're going to be all over these three letters, um, but I, I, I kind of want to organize our data under three these headings. 
throughout the pastoral epistles, Paul uses three related word groups that emphasize the priority of the work of the overseer. So he says a whole bunch of other things. This is what a pastor does. This is what you should do, you should do. But he organizes all of that under these three word groups. These three words uh, clearly tell us and show us the priority of the, of the pastor's work and what it is that the pastor needs to be involved in throughout his life and throughout his ministry. And I'm going to tell them to you in the Greek, and I have it in the outline that you have in front of you. And the reason I tell it to you in the Greek is because your translations might use different words, and so you might miss it. So I want to first show you, I want to tell you the, the words that, that Paul actually used in the Greek, and then I'll tell you what the translations are so that when you see it, you, you understand what word is being used. The first, word, the first word that he uses there is the word charizo, the Greek word charizo. And that word is translated as preach. Preach, or proclaim, or herald. Uh, it's, that's the word charizo, to preach, to proclaim. So he, he shows us often that a, the pastor's work is to be a preacher's work. We're going to discuss that just now. The second word, and it's by far the biggest word, he uses this word more often, and it's prim- I would say it's probably one of the primary works, uh, more primary works, um, is the word didasco which is translated as to teach or to instruct. Uh, Paul uses this word more than the other words combined to explain the work of a pastor. So he's, uh, as, we saw as, well, as we saw as well, I think two weeks ago, that he even calls the pastors the pastor teachers. Uh, we saw that two weeks ago because that is really the, the meat of their work, to teach. So that's the word didasco there, translated as to teach or to instruct. And the third word is the word parangelo or diatromai, which are these two words, parangelo or diatromai, both of these are translated as command or charge. They're even used interchangeably. Command, charge, warn, uh, sternly. And we're going to go into these. And so this is how we're going to, we're going to go through each of these words to try and get all the meat from what, uh, Paul says the work of a pastor is. But from these, it is unquestionably clear that the overseer's primary task is to preach, teach, and command in the faith. It is the foundation of this preaching and teaching. It is on the, the foundation of this preaching and teaching on commanding that he is to make disciples, that he orders God's church, that he leads God's people to health. It is on the basis of these three, of this work, this preaching, teaching, and commanding, charging, as it were. So let's look at each of these in turn. First, let us consider the overseer as a preacher. The first word group is charizo, to preach. And this word is related to the work of a herald who has been given news to deliver. This news, belonging to the king who sent the herald, is called the good news by the New Testament writers. 
Paul stresses throughout the, these three letters that the overseer is entrusted with this message. He says so in 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, 6:20, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 to 11, Titus 1 verse 3. He says this, he says, in accordance with the gospel of the, glo- of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. In chapter 6 verse 20 of 1 Timothy, he says this to Timothy, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. The significance of the implications of Paul's emphasis cannot be overstated here. The overseer, similar to the herald, is commissioned with a message belonging to his king, which he is to deliver unstained and with urgency. Let's go back to what what are we talking about when we talk about the herald? In olden times, the herald would come, be told by the king, here's a message Go take it to the. Go tell it to the people. Okay, they weren't like they weren't like. A, you know, now we get these these notifications or or things that come up on our phones that tell us here's what's going on. In the olden days, the herald would be told, "Here's the message," and the herald's job was to run around the the, the city, telling people, me, saying this message that has come from on high. This is the message. This is what needs to happen. This is the pic. This is the picture here. The picture is. You've been given a message. Now go proclaim it as it is throughout the city. And what is this message? Now, for this to understand this message, for for us to understand this work and this message clearly, I want you to come with me. Our first place that we'll we'll park is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Come with me for a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Well, let me start reading for you in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, proclaim the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. What is the message that he is to preach? What is the message that he is to proclaim? Well, we, he says here to Timothy what the message is. It's the word. It's the, it's the word of God. He is to preach the word of God. He is to not preach anything else. The thing that he has been given to run around among God's people delivering is the word of God. And this is because for Paul... The Word of God is the supreme authority. The Word of God is the revelation of God's mind and God's acts in history. What do we find in the Word of God? When you you take a moment to think, what exactly do we find when we open the pages of Scripture? We find in the Word of God the way of salvation clearly described. What people need to be saved from, how people are to be saved, by what means people are to be saved. All of that is found in the Word of God. The believer is given all that they need for sanctification. What do we need? Now that we have been saved, what do we need in order to continue on the road, on this narrow path? In the Word of God, in 1 Corinthians 10.6, we're told we find that in the Word of God. And what else do we find in the Word of God? We find that in the Word of God, even the man of God himself 
is equipped for every good work in 2 Timothy 3.16. So the Word of God is this treasure trove, this, this, this wonderful, this fountain where we find the way of salvation, where we find sustenance in salvation, and where we find training for every good work. Other scripture writers also affirm Paul's view. It's not just Paul who thinks this way, but it's the rest of the scripture that thinks this way and even explains it in clearer terms. God's word lights up the believer's path, according to Psalm 119, verse 114. God's word restores the believer, according to Psalm 19 and verse 7. And God's word is generally effectual in its power. It's not a weak thing. What it aims to achieve, it does achieve in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. For this reason, the Lord Jesus maintained that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so this is what the pastor, the overseer, the elder is to preach. This is what he is to proclaim. It is the word of God and the the entirety of the word of God. The full counsel of the word of God. Now a few aspects that I want us to uh, look at a bit more in the text that we're parking in here. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. I want you to notice that he says that Timothy is told by Paul to preach. Look at verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he explains himself a bit more. He he brings a bit more color to what this preaching is. Look at what he says. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What does he mean by reprove? The word he uses for reprove could also be better translated as expose, as convict. In in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus says, If your brother has sinned against you, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. The word that he uses here is this word. Go and expose. See, your brother, the assumption is, he is in darkness. It's unclear. He's a bit foggy. He is not realizing that he is walking in sin. And you need to go to him and expose. When you, said this, when you said this, when you spoke like this, when you are doing this, do you realize that you're sinning against God? See, it's, an exp- it's a taking something that is hidden and exposing it. This is sin, but you are, for some reason, you are either blinding yourself or in the, in the vein of Romans chapter 1, you are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. You're, you're pressing the truth down. You don't want to hear it. And so the work of the preaching is to expose. It, the, the preaching, what it does is, is to go and open up all the cans of worms, as it were. Open them up. Here's what it is. This can inside has worms. This can inside has worms. What you think is healthy is not. The road that you're taking that you think is fine and true and good because the world tells you that it's fine and true and good, it really isn't. See, the work, the the preaching work is a work of exposing what is going on. Expose, convict, to show 
what is wrong. The idea here, <clears throat> the other thing, the other, the other part of what this word means is that it, it's to make, it's to clarify sin and to make clear the sins of others so that the rest of the church is warned. Okay? It's to, it's to make clear the sin, to make clear this is sin. This is why Paul rebuked Peter publicly in front of everybody who was there. Why? Because Peter, as a, an apostle, an elder, he was, he was doing something that was clearly and palpably wrong, leading even others, including Barnabas, astray by not wanting to eat with the Gentiles. And so Paul stands up and, and exposes what you Jews are doing in sitting on the side when the Gentiles come is actually sinful and wrong. See, it's, an, it's, a, it's a clarifying. God, we, we need to know, as God's people, we need to know what righteousness is. And we need to be told what sin is. And so we need to have a clear expose, as it were. That's a, you know, that's a tabloid term, right? That's a magazine's term. Well, that's, what, that's one thing you can... That's what pastors are supposed to be doing. Expose, doing exposés on sin. This is what actually sin is. This is what's going on. Don't follow this route. That's the first word that he uses. He uses the word reprove. The second word that he uses is the word rebuke. Rebuke. It's a different word entirely. But what is funny about this word is that it can also be translated as reprove. Um, but this word is the word. Is this word is a different word? It means it has a, a slightly different slant. And uh, the best way I can illustrate the meaning of this word rebuke is when you remember in Matthew chapter eight, when the Lord Jesus was there among the crowds, and then there were these two blind men, and they were screaming, "Son of David, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! Son of David, have mercy on us!" And we're told in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26 that the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. The crowd turned to these, these men, these blind men, as they heard the son of David is here, they're crying out, they're crying out. And then the crowd said, shush, keep quiet, stop it. And the word that is used is the word rebuke. This is the same word here, epitomio. This, this, word of, this word for rebuke, this word for sternly telling somebody to not do something. And that's the idea baked into this particular word. While the word reprove has the idea of exposing sin, trying to show you your sin and trying to show you what sin is and show you the sins of others so that you might be built up in that way, rebuke deals with you when you're sinning and you need to be called out of your sin. Rebuke has this idea that the, the preaching has to have in it this idea of you, not just the, the room or the world or Christendom, but you are walking in this way. You need to stop it. You, you are being told in, in the preaching. See, it, the preaching has to talk to you. See, as I'm saying these things to you, church, I, w- I want you to understand, we're, I'm also trying to train you to understand what good preaching is. Okay? Good preaching is not just giving you a whole bunch of facts, a whole bunch of information, so that at the end of it, your head is fat. 
Okay? Good preaching has to confront you if you're wrong. Good preaching has to expose sin, but it also has to talk to you specifically if you're wrong. If you are expecting to come to hear preaching and you're just thinking, what, what new information am I going to gain today? Rather than thinking, I, in God's plan, this preaching has been designed so that I can be corrected. God has thought that he wants to preserve me. In the morning, Michael, in the, when we are discussing confession, in the morning, Michael was talking about perseverance of the saints. And Michael was clarifying that it's actually God helping us, making us preserve, preserving us rather, not us persevering. How does God preserve us in the faith? How does God mean to do so? How, how is God meaning to ensure that his promise of eternal life is real for me, not just now, but into eternity? The means that he uses is preaching. It's the foolishness of preaching. And preaching that comes to you. So when you come to hear preaching, you should not be coming to hear some fancy, fun, nice oratory. Okay? You should not be coming to hear, to to see some kind of a show or some kind of something, some kind of entertainment or some extra points in your doctrinal, you know, you're, you're building your doctrinal library in your head, and this is what I'm coming for. That's, that, it's not a problem to, to come to learn, of course. We're going to talk about that in teaching. But we must also know that this is the means by which we are told to stop it. To stop it. If we're doing something that we need to stop, God means to use the preaching to tell us to stop, to tell us and to tell us sternly. So, third, he uses the word um, uh, exhort. It's a, again, it's a different word here. So the preaching is going to have reproving, it's going to have rebuking, and it also has this word, parakaleo, which is implore, exhort, urge. The writer of Hebrews, after finishing his letter, uses this word. He urges the, the church to, to bear with what he has said, to take it in and do what he has just said. Take what I'm, I'm urging you, church, what I've just said in these 13 chapters. Do it. Put it into practice. But this word also has another, another, another side to it. That is, we see Paul himself in Acts 27, he had been together with some believers for a while, and he urged the believers, he exhorted, he implored them to get some food. He implored them to get some food. Guys, you, you, need, you need to actually, he used this, this, this same term, it's the same term, it's this, it's this urging, this imploring, this, 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 this pleading with you authoritatively. Get something to eat. And here's the implication from all of this. Here's the, here's the implication for us. We were talking with Michael recently as we've been thinking about this series and thinking about some of these things. And, we're, and while we're talking, and, and Michael said this while we were talking, and I told him that I'll quote him so that if you have a problem with it, you go to him. <laughs> but I told him I'll quote him because I, it, 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 it was, it, was it, it just, we were saying a whole bunch of different things, and then this one thing that Michael said put everything, it, it just fit, it explained everything. This is what he said. He said, 
90% of people's problems would go away if they just listened to and obeyed the preaching. 90% of people's problems would go away if they just listened to and obeyed the preaching. See, the preaching... Why is it that we go outside to the world to, to, get, to, to get health? To get help for our emotions and our spirits? It's because we're not trusting that what is in God's word is enough. You think that you need to go talk to somebody else. Have many sessions with someone who's going to talk to you about Freud and Maslow. Because that's what you think that's going to help you. But if you just obeyed when the scripture said obey... If you just bowed when the scripture said this and just said, let me apply. Let me work on applying. If you, if you just, most of your problems would not be there. We're not talking about other things. Of course, there's going to be sin. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be all kinds of problems in the world. There's, don't, this is not extreme. We're just saying that if we just as God's people committed to listening to and obeying the preaching of God's word we would generally be in health. And then, the, the problem that happens is that we usually want extra interventions. We want, we want to go for some extra intervention when we're not doing the basics. Okay? So here's a person who's not sleeping well, not eating right. Their, 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 their life is in complete, just all over the place in terms of their, 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 their sleeping schedule, their exercise, their life is not, is not straight. And then they feel, you know, things are not right with me, you know, things are, I'm, not, I'm, I'm struggling in my emotions and my thinking patterns, everything is not healthy. Let me get energy drink. Let me get some kind of extra intervention. Maybe let me go to a doctor. Let me go to the doctor. Doctor, what's, what's wrong with my body? I'm just, I'm not sleep, I'm some, just when I'm trying to think, I'm foggy. Doctor asks you, wait, hold on, uh, where, where, how often do, how, for many hours do you sleep? I, I mean, I play video games until about two and then chat. So for three hours, I sleep about three hours a day. Wait, how, what do you eat? What's in your diet? Well, I, I mean, it was McDonald's, McDonald's, KFC. It was KFC, it was different. But <laughs> that's, I'm just, I'm eating, you know, this is... Okay, so you see, you're not, you're not, okay, are you moving? Are you trying to get movement in? Because, uh, oh, oh, no, I mean, I'm not doing that. See, you, you, you're going for an extra intervention, but you're not doing the basics. The basics that God has said for our health, yours and I, is the preaching of God's word. And I want you to note this, that the, well, I think we'll leave that point there for now. Let's now move to the preacher, to the te- to the overseer, as well. Let me just say this one more thing. I have w- w- one more thing here. When we talk about this aspect of preaching, we're talking about preaching, delivering God's word. The word of God being the central thing and thus the controlling locus of the word of God is Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2, Paul says this is how he preached. This is what this was his ministry. 
I determined to know nothing among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's ministry. Paul determined to know nothing else except Christ on the cross. There were many philosophical things and many philosophical happenings in Corinth. That many things that Paul could have spoken about, that he probably could have, that he probably knew stuff about, but he determined, he made a disciplined will, a disciplined effort of the will to know nothing, to speak on nothing, to be an expert on nothing except Jesus Christ and him dead and risen again. Like Paul, the overseer is to preach Christ, his death, resurrection, and enduring rule, and not man's opinion or theology. Regardless of error or situation, the overseer is commissioned to, to only proclaim the once dead and now risen Lord of creation. And let me hear what I'm saying. When I'm, where, this is where I'm coming to. It is a sin and abdication of duty when a pastor starts to motivate instead of preaching Christ. If he's just trying to motivate you for the week, motivate you to get going. Get going, you know, do, do plans, you know, go, go get it, go get it, Tiger. All these, these things that they're doing, they're just trying to get you to pumped up and jumping up and clapping. Instead of showing you the, the risen Christ. It's a, it's a sin. It's not a, a different ministry model. It is ungodly. No, you guys do it that way, we'll do it another way. No, it's sinful. It is a sin if the pastor decides to shout at his people and riddle them with guilt instead of pointing them to Christ. If a pastor sees his ministry as just bashing you, bashing you from the pulpit, bashing you, making you go home, feel defeated, horrible, sinful, that is not a godly biblical ministry. And it is not a Oh, it's, a, it's just his style. No, it's sinful. You were not called to be bashed and shouted at every week. You are told to, to be explained the way of salvation, to be told about the Lord Jesus Christ. Good preaching, dear church. Mark it. Mark it down. Good preaching is preaching that exposes the heart and applies the remedy of God's message. The sum total of this message is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the overseer as teacher. The overseer as teacher. The second word group, didasco, translated as to teach or to instruct. And this is by far Paul's most repeated emphasis. The overseer must be able to teach in 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 must continually devote himself to teaching in 1 Timothy 1.13, must keep a close eye on the accuracy of his teaching, 1 Timothy 4.16, and in his teaching he must show integrity, dignity, and sound speech in Titus 2 and verse 7. Now this is what I want you to see. Come with me for a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. The overall assessment of the minister's workmanship is chiefly tied to his handling of the word of truth in his teaching. Do your best. 
to present yourself in front of God's people and those watching. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. A minister, that's, that's, his, that's, the, that's, his, that's his ministry. How is he handling the word of God? Is he playing fast and loose with it? Can he say with a clear conscience that before God, I'm handling, I'm, going, I'm getting better at my management of God's word. And I'm properly dividing God's word. Someone comes to me about a marriage issue, I don't tell them, go read Leviticus. I, I know where to go in God's word. I know where to go so that the, God's people can benefit and be blessed. When you assess the work of an elder and the eldership as a collective, you look at the handling of the word of truth. You can't say, you know, these programs, wow, there's so many great programs, so many things are happening, this church is always stuff, the social media is amazing, everything like that, they're like at the cutting edge of, of technology in this church. And then you hear the sermon. Yeah, don't pay attention to the sermon, it's going to waffle and say things and... Talk about, you know, he's going to tell, tell stories. But really, just look at how wonderful the ministry is. No, the, no the, the, over, the assessment is the word of God. That's the primary. That's at the core. That's the foundation. Without that, you can have these other things not be excellent. But if the word of God is not at the highest, at the standard it needs to be, that church is not going to be healthy. Now, not to say that we shouldn't try to do better at all these other things. Not to say that even elders themselves are not supposed to be managing and organizing the church in exemplary and excellent ways. Not at all. They should be organizing and managing the church and doing things and, and using people's gifts for the benefit of the church and advancing in different ways. But we must note that the Word of God is primary. And so I have two things to say to you regarding this particular point. First, the overseer is to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay? The overseer is to teach what goes along with sound doctrine. When discussing the qualifications of an overseer, Paul states that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. It must be sound doctrine. It mustn't just be teaching of the word, but not in accord with sound doctrine. I guarantee you now, there's many things called Christianity that open up the Bible and teach all kinds of nonsense. But they're saying, yeah, we're, we're saying this from the word. And they'll quote a verse from the word, right? They'll quote a few verses from the word. But it is what they're saying is not in accord with sound doctrine. And I'll tell you, and I, I want to make this rather clear here. The only sound doctrine is apostolic doctrine. Okay? The only sound, the only right and trustworthy doctrine is apostolic doctrine. All the prehistoric promises that, we, that the church is built on were given and explained to the apostles as the foundational leaders of Jesus Christ's church. 
Accordingly, the overseer preaches what is in accord with not just apostolic teaching, but also what is in accord with apostolic preaching. The overseer's doctrine is to be tested for accuracy against the apostolic teaching. What the apostle says, are you saying the same thing? It is for this reason, in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Paul says to charges Timothy and says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me as an apostle in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's apostolic succession. From Paul down to Timothy, to whoever Timothy teach, down the ages, what is it that was said at the beginning by the ancient, original apostles? There is no room here for innovation. There is no room here for saying things, saying new things for a new time. It, is must, it must be what the apostles said. The church is to be the pillar and support of the truth, Paul says. It is imperative that its overseers, as its primary teachers, be men of accurate biblical conviction. He must not be easily swayed by every wind of teaching, but rather he must firmly hold to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Practically, this translates to him being well acquainted with the scriptures being well acquainted with the entirety of the scriptures, the system of the scriptures, the fundamental doctrine of the scriptures, understanding the entire thing. Leave your church if your pastor can't find Deuteronomy in the Bible. Just leave. <laughs> leave your church if your pastor does not know the difference between the minor prophets and the letter to Ephesians. I'm serious. This is not a joke. It sounds funny, but it's not a joke. Either Maybe don't leave. Maybe tell him, step down, and let's get somebody who knows God's word. I'm being serious. The word of God is central. What is he going to teach you? What is he teaching you? If he, what is he teaching? If he doesn't know, if he does not know how to separate genre... You, you see something in, po- in, in the poetry, in, the po- you know, in, in poetry, and you see them, and you're like, wow, you're confused. And you go to your pastor, and he's confused with you. <laughs> if he can't separate genre, no, 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 this is poetic genre. When it says that your hair is like a flock of goats, it doesn't mean that there's actual goats. It just means that it's poetry, you know, it's like a flock of goats, it's so nice. The word of God is primary. Sometimes we, 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 we prize things that don't matter. We prize eloquence and funny stories. Right? We, we prize uh, an enigmatic character. You know, a, a character that like, can, can really organize. You know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, the guy who's really a go-getter, who can, who can get things moving and get things going. But if, he's, if he does not teach the word as was taught by the apostles run away from him or at least ask him to let others take his place and i want you to show but but that's for pastors here's something for you i want you to i want to show you something that's necessary for all of us hold your place well don't hold your place just come with me for a moment to deuteronomy 29 verse 29 
And I uh, just want you to be patient with me because I want to show you a whole diff- bunch of different things. So we'll be moving around to this morning. I've already warned you. This is what all of this means for you now as a member of the church, as a congregant here. Look at what Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, what the church says there, what the, the Israelites said. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Your duty as a church is not to seek secret things. Your duty as a church is not to try and go beyond what is written. To not have an itch for things that are more interesting than just the plain word of God. Are you with me? To not seek some hidden wisdom. That's your duty. Don't seek hidden wisdom. Don't seek new things. Don't seek some kind of, you know, some, you know, the, the, the numbers. You know, this, this perpetual, one of, the, one of the things that just like, when you read this, you think Christianity can be very funny sometimes. This perpetual search and, and fixation where people have hours and hours of programs trying to figure out what 666 means. Trying to apply it in different things and, and then they have all kinds of weird theories. Ah, this guy was born on the 6th of July. <laughs> I wasn't pointing at Michael, sorry. <laughs> I wasn't, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, your duty is not to seek secret things. But your duty is to seek the revealed ones. Seek the revealed ones. See what they say. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may do all, not some, all the words of this law. I'm going to seek what's in here, what's revealed, and I'm going to ensure, I'm going to come to church expecting to be taught about what is revealed. I need what is revealed. I need what God has said belongs to me. Your duty is to have this attitude that, we, that you and your children will commit to the plain teaching of the law of God. So in many ways, our task as church members is rather simple. It's to commit to studying God's word, to hearing God's word, read and taught. And then to obey it. In that way, it's simple. It's not complicated in that sense. I'm, can get complicated in the obedience aspect. But certainly it's not complicated in that sense. What does God require of us? He has given us teachers to help us understand what he has revealed so that we might understand it and seek to, seek to live by it. It's rather a simple, a simple mathematical equation. So that's the first part. The first part is that he is to teach what it accords with sound doctrine. The second thing is that he is to correct those who teach what is false. Now, this is found throughout the pastoral epistles, where it is his job to correct those who teach what is wrong. Those who are going on about genealogies, going on about all kinds of various things that have nothing to do with salvation. And this is what, but I want to show you not just that he's supposed to do that, but how he's to do it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to verse 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. 
And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He first says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant, the, the, the pastor, is not one who wants to start a fight every five minutes, looking for gotchas, looking for moments to put, ping people down and show them that they are foolish and that he's a clever one. Setting himself up above others. He must not be quarrelsome. Excited about conflict. Excited about a fight. That is a height of immaturity. And let me rebuke you now, if you're a person who likes to fight. You're just, you're just always itching, oh, she, this person's going to get to know me. Oh, you're going to know the real me now. If you're that kind of person, you need to repent. That is, that is quarrelsome behavior. But rather, even when somebody is being used by the devil to teach falsehood and lies, look at how he is told to correct him. Look, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Not to some. There's no qualification there. Kind to everyone. Being gentle. He says there, with gentleness, patiently enduring evil. This is one thing that we have lost, I think, perhaps, in our age of instant gratification. We can't patiently endure evil. Here's an evil thing. Let me with patience endure it so that I can correct it in a, correct, in a, in a self-controlled manner. In a manner where I'm saying, no, listen, you're wrong. This is clear, it's stern, but you're wrong. But I'm not doing it with some kind of talking like I'm a fifth grader. Talking like I'm in primary school. No, it's, it's, this, this, this correction is mature. And look at the hope. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That's the whole reason for correcting. The hope is that people would, would stop their nonsense. And come back to Christ. This does not mean that there isn't a time and a need for sharpness and strength in a time of rebuke. I'm not saying that. We're not saying that there isn't a time where it needs to be very stern and clear and sharp. Certainly this is not exhaustive. But in general, when we're thinking about our opponents, this must be our demeanor. To rebuke with gentleness and kindness. And I'm going to say, you know, I've used this example before, but I don't think I used it here, so I'm going to use it. There, I saw there was a, some kids, some zeal, without, zeal with arrogance, without self-control and virtue. They, these kids, on, all over social media, they were, they were against uh, women being pastors. Okay, fine, I've explained that to you last week, that that's a biblical position. But these, 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 I'm calling them children because that's how they were acting. One of them posted a picture of glue and said, if you're a woman pastor, this is what you need for your mouth. Glue. Glue your mouth together. See, arrogance. 
And this person is leading a church. It's a child. It's childish, childish speaking. It's arrogant. It's, it's really foolish. See, we're not to correct our opponents with harshness and belittling, but rather with gentleness. And so for you as well. When you correct people who disagree with you, do you do it with belittling? Do you do it with a putting down? Or do you do it with a sharpness, a clarity, but a gentleness, keeping your own testimony unstained? Because to me, those men are disqualified from ministry, but they're leading churches. But to me, they are, because of how they've acted. See, their testimony is not right. See, you might be correcting error, but you might be in error yourself because of the way you correct it. So saints, when we're correcting one another, when we're correcting other people, let us maintain this very same demeanor of kindness and gentleness. Finally, let's come now as we come to a close to the overseer as a commanding shepherd. The overseer as a commanding shepherd. The third and final work group under this rubric is Parangelo which is translated as charge or command. The image implied by the frequent use of this term by Paul is that the overseer is to authoritatively direct God's people into the different ways of life that God calls them to. Like a shepherd with sheep, he is to point them to green pastures and guide them away from dangerous waters. He is told to do so even regardless of his age in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. He is to command God's people as to the order of the church. He is to charge the people regarding right doctrine in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. He is to charge them with right practice in their different stations of life. 1 Timothy 5, 7 and 6, 17. I have these references at the end of your at the end of your outline there, you'll see there as an end note at the end, just some references for you to look up. With a, with a, with a holistically godly aim in their lives. Now, I want to I wanna read some of these verses to you so you can see the strength of this. 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain, to, remain at Ephesus so that you, Timothy, may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 As for the rich in this age, charge them, command them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us what we need. So everything to enjoy. 2 Timothy 2.14 Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Titus 2 verse 15 Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. You, Titus, must not let anybody disregard you what he says. Consider first that the overseer commands God's people as to their necessary stations in life. He is to remind them to be subject to, be, to the authorities, to be ready for every good work, and to show courtesy to all people. Why does he need to remind them to be subject to authorities? Because they are likely to forget. Sometimes the road gets rough and being subject to authorities is not nice. 
But this is the thing that their the overseer must do, is to charge them, remind them strongly to, to take heed of the authorities. These are things that they need to be doing. Therefore, he is to remind children to honor their parents. Are you hearing me, children? Honor your parents. He is to remind the wives to be submissive to their own husbands. And the husbands to love their wives and discipline their children. To remind the church members, as members of a country, to be subject to the governing authorities of that country. See, he is to remind them. It's not, he expects that they will forget. So then he says, remind them. Remind them of this. Accordingly, deficient authoritative teaching on the different stations of the lives of God's people results in disordered and chaotic churches and homes. If the preaching is not reminding and charging and commanding God's people to live in the way that God says they should live in their different stations, as an employee, as a wife, as a husband, as a citizen, then if that's not happening, you will expect to see chaos in all those areas which God, in which God means to bring order. God wants to bring order in our homes, order in our churches, order be- between us and our employers. But there can be chaos if we do not obey that, if we are not charged. The overseer, now hear this, the overseer must not see himself as one who offers suggestions, but rather as one who commands what God commands. It's not a su- if, it's, if God commanded it, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Here's an implication for you, dear church, as we come to a close. Here's an implication for you. And hear me, hear me on this, dear saints. In general, the Bible is not surprised by your life and your particular circumstance and situation. The Bible's not surprised. We were all surprised by COVID. The scripture wasn't. Scripture knew that in a time of COVID, this is how we're supposed to act. That is why we're not supposed to look beyond what Scripture says and the clear commands of Scripture for how we are to deal with COVID, as an example, as something so unexpected. You should assume that when God, that when God's Word speaks to your situation, it is not lacking context. No, 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 okay. Paul was saying that, but did he really understand this? I understand the psalmist says that, but did you really understand the corner of the water of what I'm dealing with? Fine, Moses said this is the way to go. But I mean he didn't really I mean he was too it was so long ago. Did he understand what I'm what I'm going through here? No, you must assume that when scripture speaks to your situation, it is not lacking context. So when when yes, our interpretation of God's word may be faulty. Okay, it's possible that our interpretation of God's word may be faulty. But in general, we need to have the Deuteronomy 29.29 attitude. That when it comes to the things that are revealed, that's what we will keep regardless of the situation in our lives. And I say this because when your pastors command you to change your life in accordance with God's word, you must know that resistance is resistance 
to holistically to God and His wisdom. Resisting your pastor when he's telling you something that God has said clearly is resisting God. Are you with me? That's why Paul uses this word. He uses this word charge, command, with all authority. Do not be, do not let people uh, disregard you. These are the words he uses, and you'll see them if you if you just check some of those references. Do not let people, with all authority, do not let people disregard you. Don't let them say what you're saying doesn't matter. How can Paul say that to a man? He's saying that to a man because if the man is applying God's word and charging it in accordance with God's word, resistance to God's word is resistance to God. Be very careful. I'm not talking about wisdom things or you know opinions or whatever. And certainly Michael and I make sure that when we're saying this is an opinion, we say this is an opinion. I was just recently talking to someone and I, I kept saying, okay, I, this is what I'll do. This is what I think is my opinion. It's not God's word. I was not commanding him. But there are certain things that are very clear in the scripture that we cannot have a debate on, a discussion on back and forth, if it's in God's word. Now that doesn't mean that your pastors can charge you where to go to work or who to marry or invade your own personal life, you know, invest your money in this bank, not in that one, which is happening in churches. Weirdly enough, people are being told to invest in these, in these get-quick-rich schemes because of the prosperity gospel. No, that's not, that's not the pastor's job at all. He is to command what God has commanded very clearly in his word. But more than that, second, is that he is to warn those who stir up division. Come with me for a moment as we close to Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. Those who stir up division. He is to, it's the same word that's used for warn there. It's to charge them very sternly, those who, 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 who stir up division in the body. He says, as for a person who stirs up division... After warning him twice, once, and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. He is to not allow divisiveness to thrive among the flock of God, but as an overseer is to wash and see that God's people are protected from those who would come to scatter the flock. Here's the final point as we close. What is the reason for this charge? Why does God give men such authority and says, you command people like this? What is the purpose? To what end? Because many people here, I'm sure I can imagine, have been hurt by men using these verses. Have been hurt by people commanding them, charging them this way and that for all kinds of different reasons and not for clear scriptural reasons. Let me show you as we close. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. What is the goal for the charging? What is the goal for this command? What is the aim of all that, that the pastors are supposed to be doing? What are they supposed to be trying to achieve in your life? Here's, here it is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim, the goal is that God's people would grow up in love and live and, and do acts of love and service from love, issuing from a pure heart before God, having a, a clear conscience before God and a sincere faith in the once dead, now risen 
Lord of all eternity. That's the goal. The goal is not so that you can line up the pastor's pockets. The goal is not so that the pastors could sexually devour you. The goal is not so that the pastors could have power over you and just use their, that power for the, for, for the sake of it. The goal is so that we might all mature in love for Christ and love for one another. May God make this a reality in our church. That we would all grow in love for the Lord Jesus Christ, for what He has done, die, what He has done, dying for us on the cross, leading us towards Him. And that also we would love one another purely from, from with a clear conscience, loving each other in sincerity, not in insincerity. And that God might change us and work in us until He returns. And may this be. May this be the the kinds of elders that we have now and until the Lord returns in this church. Our prayer and your prayer, and I'll invite you to pray that this church, that the Lord would give this church these kinds of elders now and into time when the Lord Jesus returns. Now until when He comes back. That in generation after generation, this church might be protected from all kinds of people who would try to devour us. But rather we would have elders and preachers over us who teach us God's word. Who expose our hearts so that we might know God more and hate our sin. And who aim to, bring, to, to, to help us to love God and to love one another. May we pray to that effect and that end. Indeed, Lord. I do ask that for the eldership of this church that you would make us this way. That the aim of our charge, the aim of our preaching and the aim of our teaching might be for the health of your flock. We pray, Lord, that even in the future as you add more men and as the men who are here now go down to the dust and return back to you that you continue to give this church men like this who have this singular aim and charge. We're under no illusions, Lord, that we are sinful people, that we have many conflicting aims in our hearts. But we ask for your refining fire that this church might have this aim. And we pray, Lord, for the the congregation, that as a congregation we would be encouraged and strengthened by this understanding of what this office is and that we would grow to use it more in a manner in, in for the purpose that you gave it so that we might all be protected from false teaching be protected from all kinds of different things and that we might grow in love for you oh lord i do pray for this flock that our attitude might be the attitude of the church of the israelites in deuteronomy 29 that the secret things are yours but the revealed things are for us and our children to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, uh, we just we we're gonna not have communion.